Hello and welcome to another episode of Doom to Boom podcast. Today we have a special guest, Carrie, who is going to talk to us about surviving a cult and religious trauma syndrome, what that all entails, as well as a diagnosis of complex PTSD. Hi, Carrie. Hey, Jacqueline. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for being a guest. I know, obviously, these topics that you're going to speak to us about are not easy topics to talk about, so I applaud you for that. And I myself have never heard of religious trauma syndrome, so I'm unfortunately excited to learn about what that is, maybe despite the circumstance. <laughs> yeah, it's something that's definitely gaining traction in mental health circles, so I'm happy about that because there needs to be more conversation for sure. So I kind of alluded already, Carrie, to where the topic is going to go. Where do you think it Makes sense to start with. Hmm. At the beginning, <laughs> um, I'd love to talk about how people who join cults so often are, they come from trauma. They come from dysfunctional families. Um, and that's not to say that that's the case every time. Um, but it is often the case that someone is looking for a utopia they're idealistic, they're looking for this accepting family, and they're looking for easy black and white answers for everything. And that is what a cult gives people. It gives them the answer. And once they accept it, they never have to question. They never have to be in the uncomfortable gray area. They don't have to do the, the hard work of uh, figuring out their you know complicated morality are <laughs> uh, the other big questions that we've struggled with since the beginning of time. Um, so yeah, that was definitely the case with uh, my mother who was the first person to um, join the cult. And if you're comfortable, Carrie, can you give more information on what the cult was? I know yeah. for myself anyways, I yeah. know that there's different cults, but I don't necessarily understand a lot about them. Yeah. So like you alluded to, there's a lot of different types of cults. There's political cults. QAnon comes to mind. There are health and wellness, even yoga cults. Um, anytime you have a megalomaniacal person with, you know, narcissistic tendencies, um, and people that will follow that individual, you have a cult. So the cult that I came from was a religious one, which is the one that people are most familiar with. So it was Jehovah's Witnesses, which um, some of your readers might be thinking, oh, I've heard of them. They're the ones that are hiding all the pedophiles <laughs> because Jehovah's Witnesses have been in the news a lot in recent years. Um, and I'm happy about that because it's waking up a lot of members. Um, so for my, for my mom in particular, uh, what made her vulnerable to joining was the trauma that she experienced from her abusive parents. So it was just a horrible upbringing for her. There was all kinds of abuse. And briefly, her parents uh, studied the Bible with Jehovah's Witnesses. So they're known for their proselytizing. They're the ones that show up on Saturday morning and knock on your door. <laughs> they, they're very friendly. They're very clean cut. They're very nice people. 
uh, most of them, but behind those smiles are some very toxic and abusive beliefs uh, that they are trapped in. But for my mother, uh, during the brief period that her parents were um, identifying as Jehovah's Witnesses, they, they got baptized as adult converts, her life did get better. And she would go to the church. It's called Kingdom Hall. Um, she would go and she would see all of these families that looked perfect, you know, where daddies had jobs and mommies weren't drunk and people weren't hitting each other. <clears throat> so it just looked like paradise. Like everybody here has life figured out and I want that. So she was just a little girl and she did not even remember most of the doctrinal matters, you know, the, the actual belief system. She just knew that when she grew up and had her own family, she wanted to be a Jehovah's witness. And so when she met my father, um, that was the one stipulation of marriage. She said, I'll marry you, but I just so you know, I'm going to be a Jehovah's witness. And he said, I don't care what you're going to be. You know, he had stars in his eyes. He was madly in love. So they got married and she got baptized as one of Jehovah's Witnesses and he followed her shortly afterwards. So that's a pretty common scenario where someone, um, you know, comes into the religion and then their spouse follows them. So after that, um, my mom had, you know, a wonderful uh, marriage to my dad and they're still married and very much in love. Um, so I did not have the same kind of you know, abusive parents that um, my mom had. And I'm very thankful for that. But I had all of these symptoms and all of these problems and issues. And when I would research it, they, they were the same kinds of problems and issues that people who had had an abusive childhood, you know, experienced. And I thought, how is this? How could this be the case? What What is the missing thing here? And it wasn't until uh, several years ago that I started to realize, you know, once I got into therapy and started reading a lot and just deep diving into undue influence, coercive control, abusive, um, you know, systems that I had been traumatized by my upbringing in this religion. And one of the things that that um, abuse manifested, it, it manifested in physical symptoms. So when I first went to a, in a therapist and she asked me what brought me there, I said, well, I have all of these weird little physical ailments and I have spent thousands of dollars on doctors and tests and research and supplements and diets and everything a person can do. And there's no diagnosis and there's no explanation for it. And my husband keeps pointing out that I have these symptoms pretty, um, what's the word conveniently, or I don't know if that's, that, that's the word, but predictably, that's the word predictably, uh, around the cult activities. And it's so funny how it's very obvious to me now that that's what would happen back to my childhood, uh, I would have these intense uh, stomach pains that now I know was caused by anxiety. So one of the things that happens with people who are in a cult is that nobody is a true believer 100% of the time. They start having doubts 
And for many of us, even born-ins, which, you know, somebody who is, is raised by religious parents, um, they did not choose that belief system for themselves. It was all they've ever known from infancy. They were raised in it, like me. Um, they even start having doubts as a child. I remember there were these con- you know, persistent things that would come up into my mind that were at odds um, with the religion. You know, my own budding morality and sense of ethics and right and wrong would sometimes contrast the beliefs that I was being taught. And when you're a little kid, you know, you, you, your parents are magical. All the adults around you, obviously they've got it figured out. They can't all be wrong, can they? That, that is just not something that a little child can accept. It's terrifying to, to entertain thoughts like that. So you would just push it down, push it down, push it down, push it down out of your conscious awareness. Well, those emotions don't just disappear. They get stuck in the body. And so I was having all of these psychosomatic uh, symptoms and I didn't know it at the time, but I know now that it was caused by cognitive dissonance and, you know, pushing down all of these emotions that were unacceptable inside of a Christian cult. And so can we take a couple steps back and just explain the beliefs that the Jehovah's Witnesses hold yes. in, in yes. a very basic sense, only because I kind of chuckled when you said that they're the ones that show up at your house at, you know, Saturday morning, they look very put together, but I've, and I've experienced that multiple, multiple times, but I've never really understood what they stand for or what they believe in. <laughs> okay. So Jehovah's Witnesses can be classified as a fundamentalist apocalyptic doomsday cult because they take much of the Bible quite literally. They believe that there will be a worldwide Armageddon where God and his, you know, angels uh, war with the systems uh, of society. So they believe that the governments of mankind will turn against all religion and that that will trigger a, the war of Armageddon. And at that point, God will destroy the wicked and that the approved uh, will be ushered into this utopian paradise on earth. So one of the things that differentiates them from other Christian religions is that they don't believe that the majority of good people go to heaven. They think that a specific number, 144,000, will be going to heaven to rule over the earth and that the majority of good people will live forever on this planet that will be restored into like a Garden of Eden type of you know paradise. So when it comes to the day in, day out um, uh, routine of a Jehovah's Witness, it is quite intense. You know, there's a lot of Christian people that go to church on Sunday or maybe they read their Bible or, you know, they, they might only go to church on religious holidays. Jehovah's Witnesses belief is encompassing. It, it It's their life. They go to church three times a week. They do proselytizing every week. Some of them devote full-time hours to that work, which I did for several years as a young adult. Uh, It's all unpaid. They do not have a paid clergy class. So as a result, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses are exhausted and poor. They're among the poorest of American religions, according to Pew Research. And their, mor- their moral code is extremely strict and archaic. It's misogynistic. It is homophobic. Um, you cannot be gay <laughs> and be a Jehovah's Witness. Uh, 
they do practice excommunication. They call it disfellowshipping. So if somebody steps out of line, you know, if they have sex before marriage, if they uh, go to a strip club, if they, you know, there's there's a, a long, long list of things that can get a person kicked out of Jehovah's Witnesses. But the most disturbing part of the religion is the way that they their policies end up covering over the sexual abuse of children. And that's one of the reasons why they're in trouble. They're in legal hot water in a lot of different countries. Um, for instance, in 2017 in Australia, the government um, authorized a royal commission into institutional responses to child sexual abuse. And they researched a lot of organizations. They did not pick on Jehovah's Witnesses. They, they looked at the way that um, orphanages, religions, daycares, Boy Scouts, you know, anyone who's around children, they investigated their policies and they found that the Jehovah's Witnesses had the absolute worst policies for protection of children. And it, it comes down to the fact that they believe that that CSA is not a crime. They believe it's a sin. So it's handled internally if it's handled at all. And the burden of proof is on the victim. Um, there have to be two witnesses to an event of CSA, which, as you and I know, that never happens. Nobody molests a child with an audience. And so in Australia, there were over a thousand uh, pedophiles that were discovered and the police were called in zero cases. Uh, in New York, where their headquarters are, um, there's a database of pedophiles that the organization has handled internally. And so now you have all of these people who have left the organization. Many times they are ac actually excommunicated for being an abuse victim. So just a hypothetical situation. Let's say that there's a 15-year-old girl and she is uh, sexually assaulted by an adult man. There's literally a group of men that will basically perform an inquisition on her. If she comes to the elders, you know, the, the clergy, and she says, this person assaulted me, they then will grill her without an advocate, without an attorney, without a female relative alone, asking her very disturbing questions such as what kind of underwear were you wearing? Did you want you know, this person to have sex with you? Did you orgasm? I mean, it's absolutely disgusting. So the victim is re-traumatized and the victim is told to keep quiet. If there isn't a second witness to the assault, the victim is told that there isn't enough to take action against the person and there's not enough to disfellowship the, you know, abuser. So basically shut up and wait on God as they put it. Well, what happens is when the victim decides that, that, you know, she can't in good conscience keep this quiet, she's then excommunicated. So she's re-traumatized over and over and over again. So now you have a lot of people, men and women, who are coming forward and saying, look, this, you know, is absolutely horrific, the way that this um, religious cult is treating, you know, women and children and, and, and victims of, of CSA. And the other really disturbing aspect of the cult is their belief that um, it is unacceptable to accept a blood transfusion. So there are some medical ethicists who um, estimate that about a thousand people annually 
die as a result of that teaching. So, you know, if I, as a Jehovah's Witness, were to get in an automobile accident and I was bleeding out and the only thing that could save my life would be blood transfusion, I would die a martyr. So even as a young child, um, young people are encouraged and, and given scripts to say that, you know, if, if they were in a hospital and they were, um, quote unquote, threatened with a blood transfusion, they were prepared to fight the doctor so as not to receive a life-saving medical treatment. And so that's another reason why some countries are going after the Jehovah's Witnesses, because they are recognizing that that's a human rights violation. Uh, the other big problematic belief is uh, the shunning. So when someone, you know, does step out of the acceptable, you know, behavior rules um, of this high control religion, they are subject to shunning, even minor children. It happened in my own extended family. I have, um, you know, nephews who were kicked out of their home when they were under 18, which is child abuse. And, and you know, some, some governments are recognizing this, that you cannot shun your own minor child just because you have a religious belief. So the, the organization is definitely on the decline. Um, but yeah, that, that kind of sums up the most problematic parts of the religion. But even just the coercive control, um, a person who is raised as one of Jehovah's Witnesses has the, the, the religious belief um, finding its tentacles into every aspect of their life, from the music they can listen to, the movies they can see, the books they can read, the clothing they can wear, the people they can date. Uh, I mean, don't even get me started on the impact of purity culture and <laughs> the misogyny um, of you know a religion where women are told to keep silent. That does just tremendous harm to people. Um, so yeah, what, what other questions? Because I could go on and on, but that, that kind of sums up the worst of it. Well, it, it just sounds like trauma after trauma after trauma. And even yes. if you know, nothing is, I'm going to say technically dealt with. So it just sounds like it continues even after they're forced to leave the Jehovah's Witness or whatever the case is. I, yes. There's so many traumas in that alone. And then growing up with that and being told that this is who you are and this is what you believe. But then, oh, well, you didn't follow this rule, so we're forcing you to leave this religious belief cult that you believe in. Yeah. And so how do they cope with life after the fact? Like, they're just so traumatized. <laughs> yes. Uh, sadly, many don't cope well at all. And before we started recording, I was thinking about how, and I, and I mentioned this, you know, when we were chatting that you can control people without chains and bars. You can control people with uh, phobia induction. So one of the ways that cults control people is, is with that. They install fears that are not real, but they feel real. And so the person internally polices themselves. Let me, I'll give you an example. Um, because, the idea of getting excommunicated is so terrifying when you've been raised in this religion where everyone you know is a Jehovah's Witness because you're not allowed to have friends outside the organization 
you're only allowed to proselytize to people outside. So your coworkers, the people you go to school with, you know, your neighbor kids, um, if you're friendly with them, you better be preaching to them and trying to bring them into the religion. Because if you're not doing that, you can get in trouble. They're, they're considered bad association. So every religious cult has a different word for that. Like Scientologists, um, they have their own, you know, jargon uh, cults. That That's another feature of cults is that they have loaded language. Um, for Jehovah's Witnesses, they refer to people that leave as apostate and they call them mentally diseased. So there's this um, stereotype of someone who leaves the organization as being a complete and total loser of a human. They, they have their uh, character completely assassinated by the people that used to know and love them and worship alongside of them. Even their own family will talk trash about them, uh, accuse them of being immoral, uh, unethical, you know, they'll, they'll say that they're on drugs or they've lost their mind or, you know, they, any excuse they can possibly come up with to soothe their own pain and their own fear and their own cognitive dissonance, they will do that. So, you know, when you, when you grow up in that, it's, it's very terrifying, the thoughts of being rejected from the only group of people you've ever known, you know, and, and like I said, many of them are, are really good people. Um, so, it's, it's, it's the oldest trick in the book. I mean, human beings are very afraid of getting kicked out of the village, you know, in our, in our evolutionary history, that literally meant death. So when I was a teenager growing up in this and, and wanting so badly to be who I was and express myself and just be a normal American teenager, um, the thought of not being able to speak to my parents and all of my friends turning against me and everybody I'd ever known my whole life was too much. And so that's one of the ways they control you. Um, so just recently I, I remembered something and I, I had an EMDR session yesterday with the therapist, um, which is, you know, a really interesting type of therapy for people who have trauma and I told my therapist that it's only been in the last two years that I have not been terrified of winter. And the reason is because every time I would feel cold, I would get, you know, that chill, start shaking a little bit. I would have a, a kind of panic because as a child, I was taught that Jehovah's Witnesses were persecuted all over the world. And indeed they were. And I don't believe that that's acceptable um, to, you know, torture people or imprison them because of their religious belief. But the witnesses are subject to a lot of what I call fear porn or persecution porn in their indoctrination. So little kids, uh, you know, sitting at a large gathering of Jehovah's Witnesses um, or just at their weekly, you know, church services, over and over and over again, they see and hear descriptions of pretty horrible and graphic torture. So I knew that Jehovah's Witnesses um, during the Holocaust were tortured by the Nazis. I knew that in Russia, they were rounded up on train cars and sent to Siberia. And one of the methods of torture that was employed was um, they would put the individual out in the middle of the night in the freezing cold and douse them with water. And so that was such a vivid, you know, mental image that I had that anytime I felt cold, it triggered these invasive thoughts of torture. And 
you know, even though that had not happened to me personally, I knew that it could because that this is what I was being told that sometime in the future that the governments were going to turn on my religion and put me in jail or hold my children hostage or put a gun in my back and say, renounce your faith or you're going to die because those things had happened. They had been happening. They, a lot of individuals in Ethiopia, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses lost their lives in prison and it's happened, you know, periodically throughout their history. Um, so that was a very real fear, but at the same time, it was something that I was choosing. It was a religion that I chose for myself. Uh, you know, a Jew could not, um, disavow their ethnicity. They, they had, you know, no choice in that, but a Jehovah's witness, that's a really, a religious belief that they could have shed. So it's like this horrible, um, dichotomy in the brain all the time. And that's why it's so painful to experience cognitive dissonance because it feels like a splitting in two. It feels like a death. And that's how I tried to explain it to my father um, when I left that I felt as if I had died. It was that horrible and intense. And so you did finally leave Jehovah's Witness. Yes. Yes, I did. Um, with my ex-husband, we, we woke up together after many years of, you know, very painful cognitive dissonance, struggling with beliefs, struggling with um, a lot of abuse that we saw in the organization. Um, my first husband, for example, um, we married when I was just 18, which is extremely common when you have, you know, a, a religion that tells young people that they cannot express their sexuality. They tend to get married very, very young <laughs> just so they can have sex. So I married a young man who was also horribly traumatized because he had been abused by his Jehovah's Witness relatives. And, you know, you, you put a, a two people that are still children um, together in a marriage and with all of this trauma on top of it, that's just a recipe for disaster. So that that marriage did not last. Um, he and I are friends now, but I remarried um, to, you know, another Jehovah's Witness man, but he and I began to wake up and, and especially during the pandemic, because one of the things that cults do to keep you in is to keep you busy and exhausted all the time. Some of them even employ sleep deprivation as a tactic. I know the Moonies did that. Um, Stephen Hassan, who has written several books about exiting the Moonies, um, and he came up with what's called the bite model of, of control, which that's one way that you can diagnose whether a group is cultish or, or not is if they control behavior information um, thoughts and emotions uh, bite so anyway my second husband and i uh during the pandemic we were able to rest a little bit and relax we weren't on this constant treadmill of activity because everything shut down uh, we were not doing the proselytizing work we were doing the meetings at home on Zoom. And a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses woke up during that time. They're, they have been struggling to get people to come back ever since the uh, pandemic, you know, has, has ended. Um, so that was a blessing in disguise. I mean, it, it, what a horrible thing that it took a global pandemic to kind of uh, snap people out of a stupor, but that's, that's literally what it's like. Um, so let's see, I think I skipped over something I was going to talk about <laughs> I forgot the original question just that you had ended up leaving Jehovah's Witness 
Yeah. Okay. I think that the question you asked a few minutes ago was how do people cope after they leave? How do they heal? Some people don't. I have known people whose lives are forever uh, in chaos because of the trauma that is so sad, but it's very true. Um, the mental health of Jehovah's Witnesses is abysmally terrible. And there, if you Google it, you'll find there's quite a few um, experts who have written about this. They are much more likely to suffer mental health issues, even while in the religion. But once they leave, it's a whole new set of problems. I mean, suddenly this person has freedom. But considering the fact that as a Jehovah's Witness, they're isolated from the world, everybody that they love is inside the organization still, they have not ever developed any healthy uh, boundaries because that is not a word that any Jehovah's Witness, um, you know, is taught. Uh, they do not want you having boundaries. They want to commit boundary violations constantly. Um, so Jehovah's Witnesses don't really appreciate healthy boundaries. They um, suffer financially because the organization is anti-education. So like I said, Pew Research has found that Jehovah's Witnesses are, are, are literally like the second poorest religious group in, in America um, because they forbid higher education. So you've got this person who is traumatized, being shunned by their loved ones, has no education, and they've been taught their whole life that the world is going to end any day now, any day now. So they have this heightened fear. They don't trust authority figures. They don't trust the medical establishment. They don't trust the government. They don't trust the education system. So it's just a shit show <laughs> for, for that person. So a lot of people um, try to find other ex-Jehovah's Witnesses to, um, you know, share their stories and it, because it's so difficult to talk about it with people who have never experienced it. They just can't understand all the fear and the, the pressure that the members are under. They don't understand why you can't just leave. You know, it's like someone who has never had an abusive partner has a hard time understanding, well, why didn't you just leave him? You know, they don't understand all of the ways that the abuser, the abuser has you under their thumb, how they have psychologically hamstrung you and made you dependent financially, emotionally. You know, they've isolated you from your support system. They've obliterated your self-esteem. All of that makes it nearly impossible for you to, um, you know, just make a clean break. So some people become advocates. Um, there's, you know, they start YouTube channels or Instagram channels and they um, protest and, you know, try to spread the word. And that's one way that they heal. But I think for most of us, we just try our best to get on with our lives, to um, get our ass in therapy and stay there <laughs> if we can. That's been my, um, that's been my saving grace is focusing on my mental health. And when you say that people start, you know, the YouTube channels or something similar to advocate, do like I just I know the the laws around kind of publishing on public forums. Do they end up being taken down as like a YouTube page or do they actually stay up? 
they don't get taken down by the um, lawmakers. They get taken down sometimes because the watchtower, like all cults, loves to sue people to protect their reputation. So even if someone keeps their content 100% factual and clean, like a lot of the a lot of the content creators in the XJW space use the Jehovah's Witnesses own publications to dismantle the belief system. I mean, they have said some crazy things over the years. They, they've been publishing their, well, they've been a religion for 140 years. So they've been publishing copious, you know, um, they're very um, prolific with their, with their um, propaganda material, their, you know, magazines, videos, books, brochures, uh, et cetera. But because they've said so many horrible things and made predictions that did not come true, a person who looks at the historical, um, you know, early witness propaganda, oftentimes that in itself will wake them up. And, and in fact, they encourage members to destroy old literature. Like they will send out letters to the churches periodically and say, destroy everything before 1991 or, you know, whatever the date is where they made some big organizational or doctrinal update, they call it new light. Um, but you're told to destroy the old stuff. And on the website, they'll actually go in and edit um, previously published material to reflect the current understanding because maybe there was a big outcry about it. So, for example, if you go back um, and look at some of the early watchtowers, there was just horrible racist, uh, you know, imagery and, and propaganda. It was really, really disgusting. Um, and they've said a lot of, you know, very misogynistic things through the years. You know, these are these are just men that, that think they're God's favorite and they think they have carte blanche to do and say whatever they want because they're narcissistic. <laughs> and so a lot of times they end up digging their own grave with that. Um, but the content creators, many of the ones that I know of are really, really dedicated to only speaking fact-based, you know, information that can be verified. And they encourage you to do your own research. That's that's something that Jehovah's Witnesses don't do. They don't research their religion outside of the religious propaganda material, which, you know, that's not research. If you're only getting your information from one source and you never look at anything critical of that, that's not research. That's indoctrination. And so given my kind of knowledge and experience with mental health personally and professionally, it almost like all of these rules and things, I guess that they're pushing into Jehovah's witness. It almost sounds like a lot of people leaving that cult and that religious cult, I guess it almost sounds like they would struggle with paranoia or, kind of schizophrenia in some ways, not necessarily as a, a diagnosis, but just in all of the different things that they've been told to believe and then coming into society where that's not necessarily the case. Yeah, it, it is, it is quite overwhelming. And I, you know, my ex-husband and I have talked about this, how thankful we are that we had each other during that waking up process, because it does take several years. Sometimes it's not always an overnight process. It can start kind of slowly. Um, 
the Mormons, who are very similar to Jehovah's Witnesses, they're kind of referred to as our cult cousins because they sort of came about from the same branch of um, of uh, Protestantism in about about the same time in the late 1800s. So there's a lot of commonality there, but they have a, a metaphor. They call it putting it on a shelf. So every time there's a doubt in your mind that you just can't, you know, can't deal with it. You can't reconcile it with the belief system. It's like you put a book on a shelf and you keep putting those books on that shelf. One day that shelf breaks. And that's what it's like. For me, it was um, reading the uh, sworn under oath testimony of one of the um, like the head honchos of the religion. There's nine men in upstate New York. They're called the governing body. And they're the ones who make all of the decisions about policy, doctrine, etc. One of them was interviewed and you know he was subpoenaed and he was under oath at the Australian Royal Commission. And when I allowed myself to read his the transcript of his uh, testimony, I saw that he lied over and over and over. And it just felt like a house of cards. I realized, you know, none of this is real. This is just a stupid little boy in a man's body that has been backed in a corner by these very intelligent, educated professionals who have good motives, who are trying to protect children. And he is folding like a shamed little boy. And it just completely fell apart. But that was not the first time that I had had... Um, you know, a struggle with my belief system. Like I said at the beginning, it started when I was just a little girl. I had, you know, um, a real difficult time understanding why if there was a God, he allowed wicked things to happen. You know, why did he allow good people like my mother to be horrifically abused as a little girl? Why did he allow, you know, this and that? And there were all these things. Um, but I would say that the biggest Thing that led to my awakening was when my seventh child was born. Uh, he was a very premature baby. And knowing in the back of my mind that I might have to be faced with the decision of allowing doctors to give him a blood transfusion, I began to realize that if I had withheld that life-saving treatment from my preemie, I was a monster. And so I was holding these two opposing beliefs simultaneously. And that's what cognitive dissonance is. And it's so painful that it, it causes people to, to, you know, some people have a, a, a complete breakdown. Some people unalive themselves because the pain of that is so great because we formulate our identity around our beliefs so much, you know, like, who am I if I don't have this belief, if I don't love God, I've, I've spent my entire life um, trying to please God, trying to model my, you know, decisions around um, what I thought, you know, he would approve of. And I've dated only people that thought the same as me and everything in my life has been, um, you know, circulating around this idea, if it's a lie, then maybe I'm not even real. It's a horrible, horrible thing um, to go through. But I'm also grateful because my children, my children, I, I don't know that I would have had the courage to leave if it weren't for my children. There are a lot of people, um, some of us estimate that about 30% of Jehovah's Witnesses are actually what we call PIMO, P-I-M-O, which means physically in, but mentally out. In other words, they're going through the motions, showing up at the church, 
you know, doing the bare minimum just so they aren't excommunicated and shunned by their family. So, you know, maybe they just have to pretend so that they don't lose their spouse or their kids or, you know, go through this horrible experience of getting shunned. Um, but my children gave me the courage not to go that route because my children were also waking up. They, even though they had been raised in the belief system, you know, they're a different generation. They have different ideas. They, you know, using the internet and having a smartphone in, in your hand is like breathing to them. So they were not going to listen to this group of old white guys in New York that told them don't research on the internet about you know, your religion, they're not going to, they're not going to listen to that. Um, and so there's a lot of young people that are waking up, which I'm extremely thankful for. I think the religion is definitely dying out, especially as the boomers die off. Um, it had its heyday in like the late seventies and eighties and early nineties. But ever since then, they have been struggling to motivate people because the members are just exhausted and they're, they're absolutely tired of getting, um, you know, pushed around and, and constant changing of doctrine and all these other policies that end up harming people. They're, they're slowly waking up to it. So I'm very thankful for that. And I, you know, I hope that someday in America, um, cults are a thing of the past that that might be wishful thinking, because as long as there are narcissistic people who can exploit our brain, which that's what they do, um, they exploit, you know, known psychological weaknesses in the human brain uh, to control you. We'll probably always be dealing with them. But I think that, you know, the Internet is really helping people um, get the information they need to avoid uh, coerc coercive groups. And especially it makes me happy that in popular culture now we're seeing so much around that, you know, that conversation about undue influence and um, and cults and how they can show up in all kinds of different ways. You know, you can't scroll Netflix or, or Hulu or um, YouTube without finding a new documentary about the latest cult, you know, and podcasts like this one. So the information is out there. Um, and I'm so pleased about that. How, I guess this has been my burning question, Carrie, how are cults even allowed? I know, I know. Once all this information comes out, eventually, probably, you know, decades or hundreds of years later, but once all this information comes out, like everything that you've been sharing with us, how is it still operating? <laughs> I know that that's the question that all the XJWs have is how is this allowed? And, and unfortunately here in the United States, you know, because we have freedom of religion, um, we also need freedom from religion. Now, the, the problem is that you can't really litigate a belief system, but what you can litigate is, is behavior. So, you know, I'm an atheist, but I, I tell people um, that you can believe whatever you want. If, you know, if you're religious, that's fine. I, I don't believe in any of it, but if you're religious, that's fine. But it stops in your brain. As soon as you do something that infringes on my freedom or my rights, then we have a problem. And, you know, I love that in some countries they are going after the churches for some of these abuses, like, you know, hiding pedophiles, not calling the police when, you know, you have information about, about a child being hurt. You know, a teacher in this country is a mandatory reporter. Why isn't a clergyman? 
that that is not okay. Why, why does not every state in the union have that as a law that everyone who works with children has to be a mandatory reporter? You know, this is in the United States, this is how we get change happen is, is through lawsuits. So, you know, the Catholic Church was forced to change their way of operating when enough people started suing them. So that's what I'm hoping starts happening with the Jehovah's Witnesses. Unfortunately, they have deep, 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 deep pockets and they have free labor. Uh, they have you know, their own internal attorneys who work for free and who are tireless in their campaign because they think they have God behind them. You know, um, But in a lot of other countries, they're going after the Jehovah's Witnesses for, for human rights violations. For example, the shunning. It's against the law to shun uh, a minor child. You cannot kick a 16-year-old out onto the street just because they read a book about evolution. Okay, that's not except that's against the law. So we just need to get better at actually going after these people who who harm others with these belief systems. Well, I was going to say too, right alongside what you just said, Carrie, is you know there's all of these beliefs or policies or whatever the case is within Jehovah's Witness that says, you know, if a child is abused, you have to go through all of these steps. And if it's not considered in quotes factual, then it just gets dismissed. Is there not a part in the States? I don't know if it would be like your version of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms for the States where it you're only allowed to practice religion if it's not harming others or if it's not breaking other criminal offenses? That's a good question. I, I actually don't know. I mean, you know, there's so many problems with American politics. Um, I think one of the one of the issues is that after what happened in Waco with the Branch Davidians, the government has kind of reflexively gone in the other direction. Like they're so afraid um, to go after cults because of the way that Waco was handled. Un unfortunately, they've gone too far in the other direction, though. So, for example, um, when they try to go after the fundamentalist Mormons, you know, the, the, the guys that, you know, might have 30 wives and they start marrying these girls off when they're 12 years old to some 65 year old, you know, pervert. Um, the, the problem is when they try to get in there and go after these these abusers, is they end up accidentally causing other harms. You know, they, they don't understand. Like I said, if someone has not been um, inside of a cult, they don't really understand the way that it impacts the mind. So one of the ways that cults control people is through persecution um, porn. <laughs> That's what I call it. They, they convince the members that any negative news or any negative action against the cult members is persecution, which then just reinforces their belief that they are God's chosen people. Because, you know, just like Jesus was killed, they think, oh, well, the fact that we're getting persecuted and the fact that the feds are after us, this is what we were talking about all this time. This is what we were telling you, that the government is after us and we're the true believers and God will save us and all that. So when they go in there and try to take, you know, girls away from this, this abuser, she doesn't always act like the ideal victim. You know what I mean? Um, she thinks she might fight against 
the, the government or she, you know, a woman in that situation might try to keep her children inside because she's been taught her whole life that outside the compound is evil and wicked and everybody's out to get your babies, you know? So how do we change that? I'm not sure. I mean, it's going to take a lot. It might take more um, government intervention into homeschooling practices um, because, you know, that's one way that, that people can keep their children insulated uh, is by, you know, homeschooling them. And I'm not opposed to homeschooling. I actually did homeschool my children, but I am opposed to unchecked um, parents' rights because that is something that like the religious right and fundamentalists have used to, to continue the harm uh, of children. So it's going to take a whole lot of change, um, but mostly it's about information. It's about more and more and more information telling people that nobody has the right to control another. Nobody has the right to shame you, you know, um, to coerce you, to do things that feel wrong. You know, you have the right to live your life the way that you want to, as long as you're not causing harm to another. When we as a society can make sure that even little children understand that. And, you know, it, it would even take a sea change in like parenting practices. When I was raising my children, one of the things that disturbed me was the spanking, you know, the physical punishment of, of the members of the cult. Um, I didn't want to raise my children that way. I wanted my children to be raised gently. And I, you know, I had researched attachment theory and attachment parenting and all of that. I didn't want these little docile, obedient children that, you know, jumped when I snapped my fingers. That, that was, oh, I didn't want that. But that's another tool that parents use to exert undue influence on their children is physical violence. So, you know, there's other societies that are more progressive with this. They've banned spanking. They've made it illegal. That's a step in the positive direction. But it's just going to take a whole lot here in the good old U.S. of A. <laughs> a, a whole lot, it sounds a like. <laughs> yeah. Is there any anything that comes to mind to you, Carrie, when I ask for words of support or words of encouragement? or any type of advice that you can give to listeners that might also be either experiencing similar things or on the other side of leaving a cult. I know this whole conversation with you has been a lot of insight and encouragement and support. So I just wondered if there was any kind of final burning thought that came to mind for you. I would say if I have any advice, it would be trust your feelings, trust your instinct, that is something that has been honed over untold, you know, uh, eons of time through evolution. You are uncomfortable with something for a reason. Listen to that. Um, I wish that I had listened to my instincts, you know, for these past few decades because they were screaming at me. And when I did not listen, they manifested in physical ailments. And that, that happens. The body keeps the score. So listen to your gut and you can trust your feelings to lead you in the right direction. They are there for a reason. Listen to them. The other thing would be um, is to accept all the parts of yourself. Um, don't you know, shame yourself. Don't be critical of yourself. All of the parts of you exist 
for a reason. Some of them came about as a result of trauma from your childhood or, or they protected you in some way. The less that we judge ourselves, the less we judge other people. And so we could make the entire world a better place by just loving ourselves, accepting ourselves, looking at ourselves with curiosity rather than criticism and judgment. We would change the world if we did that as individuals. I wholeheartedly agree. And I hope that there is, this might be maybe too big of a dream right now, but I do wholeheartedly hope that there is a day where not that is the case where there's acceptance and lack of like no judgment and loving ourselves and liking others and just being a collective that supports rather than shames and judges. Yes. And I think I have a lot of hope because of this next generation that's coming up. I think that they're going to do a better job of that. And I love it. I love, I love what I'm seeing um, from young people (laughs) like my children. They're, they're going to, they're going to be what ushers that in. Amazing. Thank you again, Carrie, for guesting. And just before we conclude, is there anywhere that listeners can find you on socials or websites or anything of that sort? Yeah. So um, they can visit my blog. It's carriewillard.com. And I would love to hear from anybody who listened to this and you know enjoyed it. If it resonated, you can contact me through my blog. I would love to have a conversation with you. I think survivors need to stick together and it's these stories that are healing and it's stories like this that are going to change the world. So I would love to hear your story. Absolutely. And Carrie, I think I've already kind of alluded to this throughout our conversation, but I have always heard of Jehovah's witness and, you know, I just know them as kind of bare bones that they show up at your door and try to give you forms and papers and trying to get you to join. But Thanks to you, I now understand what is actually involved in the religious beliefs and the whole, I'm going to say culture of Jehovah's Witness. So I wanted to thank you, Carrie, for bringing some light and some knowledge and insight into this because I'm fairly certain if I didn't understand or didn't know a lot of what it entails, that there's definitely others. And... I kind of feel naive and kind of blocked from the world that all of these things are still happening. So I just wanted to thank you for sharing your experience and your knowledge. And I wish you lots and lots and lots of healing. (laughs) Thank you, Jacqueline. It's been amazing. I've, I've really loved having this conversation with you. Thank you. And to you, Carrie, and to the listeners, I'm sending you both lots of love and lots of light.